you to look to the book of Luke today, Luke chapter number 22. And we're going to begin with verse 35 and read through verse 38. I encourage you to keep your Bibles, your devices open. We're going to look at other passages from this chapter. But for a place of focus here, I want us to look at Luke 22 and begin with verse 35. Jesus Christ, I pray. Hallelujah. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's worship God. Before we're seated, let's forget about who's next to us. Let's exalt the mighty name of Jesus. I love you, Lord. I bless you today, Jesus. There is no God like you. There is no name like you. I bless your name, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The lesson of two swords. The only permanent thing in life is change. And you could describe change. There's different types of change. Change can be instant and sudden. You just wake up and everything has 
changed. Anybody ever had those moments before? I know you have. Think about even in our country, 9-11. Everything changed in moments. So yes, they can be instant. They can be sudden. But changes, secondly, can also be gradual and incremental. Right? And I would even argue the results of sudden change have their ongoing effects. And the other thing I've noticed about change is it can be hidden before our eyes. I mean, things are different, and we didn't even realize the permanent effect it was having. In all of these things, I'm asking you, with me, to look back and to reflect. And you can readily see, then, when you're looking back, the transitions that change brought. That's why we say hindsight is 2020. I didn't get it at the time. But now looking back, I see the changes that took place. But let me tell you something. There is a wild card, if you will, for the child of God. And I'm talking about if we are keen to the Spirit to listen for what Jesus allows for us to see and to understand. There is an advantage for someone that's in the Spirit because Jesus can allow us to see things. And, and the revelation He gives us is not always in full. Sometimes it's only what He wants us to learn at the moment. Anybody with me right now? Uh, with the passage of time, however, momentary revelation takes on a greater meaning. Just this past week, <clears throat> my wife Christina and myself and Sister Penny, all of us that are a part of a community group, uh, we were in an email conversation, and I might put a shout out that uh, groups should take on a life on their own shared experiences outside a weekly meeting or you just have another institutionalized meeting. And so we were doing that and, and uh, I, I, Penny and Christina were talking and Christina made this comment. She said, uh, Abraham, did he really fully understand what he was declaring when he stated to his son Isaac, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Did he really understand what he was saying? I mean, for me, I have no doubt he was speaking in faith to a son, Isaac, who was asking, where's the sacrifice? We've got the wood and the fire. So he's speaking a word of faith to him. My son, the Lord will himself provide a lamb. I think he was even speaking a word of faith to himself, right? Because he's the one that knew God had asked him as a father to sacrifice his son on an altar. Amen. Sometimes a word of faith comes out of your mouth that you need for the moment, as here it was needed for sure. But my point is later we can see what God was doing when we didn't fully understand the greater work of God. And as they were chatting on, Christina said, I kind of think Abraham didn't fully understand, and I concur with that, that, that he knew 
that God was going to step in and provide for his son. He had so much faith that even if he had to kill his son, he believed the Lord would raise him back up. I think he understood that part of it. But he did not probably understand God's full eternal plan. But you and I sitting here today, oh now, we know how that a ram that was caught in a nearby thicket on that day that took the place of Isaac is what Jesus did for all of humanity on the cross. He died in our stead. Isaac, a ram's going to replace you and your life. And Jesus said we should have died, but he took our place. It was a substitution. We get that now. And thank God he did it. But are you tracking me? Did Abraham fully grasp all that? I think we relate to what I'm talking about. This greater truth. If you ever made the comment, ah, I didn't realize what I was saying at the time. Anybody ever done that? It's greater understanding. So I'm telling you that not only is change the only permanent thing, but we're constantly living in the midst of change. Whether you realize it, celebrate it, or resist it, change is happening, baby. Amen. I'm so glad to hear probably our most senior person in this church, Elder McIntyre, say amen. Because you've seen plenty of changes. Some of the changes I'm going to talk about, he lived through. What about historical changes in the last 200 years? Now, that's not you. I want to qualify that one, okay? In the last 200 years, think about transportation. We have gone from a horse and buggy to cars and trucks, from boats and trains to airplanes. Guys, in the 1950s, that's just 65 to 70 years ago, commercial airlines became more popular, <clears throat> more accessible, and more comfortable. That's just not too long ago. What about communication in the last 30 years? Are you aware that in 1993, the World Wide Web was made public to everybody. And is anybody going to argue the effects of that change? In fact, it was in the late 90s, we moved here in 1997 to Baltimore, that email skyrocketed from its 1971 invention. That hasn't been that long ago. I've got my own stories about me getting used to email, but I don't know that I'll take the time to talk about that right now. Instant messages, things I wasn't used to, house phones, landlines, their mobile, their cell. In the last 10 years now, at the turn of this decade, you know, 2020, you remember 2020? Oh, what's happened from 2010 to 2020? Major League Manager Dusty Baker, at the end of that decade, 2020, at age 70, he became a manager again after years of retirement. And it brought this perspective to me that he was like, man, there was no phones allowed in the dugout. Now they're using iPads to review the last play to see if they can get them on the next at-bat. I mean, that's just 10 years. In the last year, plus, the use of video communication has become commonplace. 
I'm preaching to a, a worldwide web right now. Hi, Mom. Okay. It's amazing the changes. Mask and social distancing in the last year are common terms. If you cough in public, you're self-conscious about it. Birthdays and graduations, celebrations are done in creative ways. I'm talking about change. In fact, in this last week, since we have met last Sunday, we have seen the first woman to become vice president of the United States when only a hundred years ago, August 1920, women were not even allowed to vote. I'm talking about how much change has happened in the course of just even last Sunday. And you hear me. Oh, I know I've got to preach this way. Whether you agree or disagree with the effects of the inventions or the principles of people, you can celebrate victories won in what they represent. I'll give you an example. I'm glad for technology and the advances. I'm glad for live stream and email and social media communication that has helped us. But you know what? There's also some downsides that has happened in that, in our conversational life, in our reading, in all the things. There's things that suffered in that too. But here's the deal. I can't get away from the world I live in. I can just celebrate the good and stay balanced in the midst of it all. In this last year, in news, we have seen inexcusable injustice just this past year. But then, in just about a decade, a little over, we saw an historical mile marker when uh, we saw the first black president elected to the United States. You know what that's about? I'm trying to give you perspective that injustices and hatred that was actually legal for decades, now we've seen that change. I understand everything's not utopia. Somebody said, don't make this utopia. Don't make this heaven. In fact, the late Hank Aaron mail as recent as 2014 from a USA Today article because of the color of his skin. Here's what I'm just trying to tell you is that we are in the midst of change. It will always happen and you got to figure out that change is always going to be with us and you've got to learn to respond properly to change. Don't fall apart when everything's not the way it used to be. Read my lips. It won't be. We all go through change. I'm 56 years old. And you know what? They sing songs differently, different styles, different ways. I like what Bishop Bernard said. The songs that we like are the songs that we experience when we came into the church. That's what we relate to. But I can sit around and act like a dinosaur, or I can say, as long as we're going into the presence of God, now give me a couple, if, in fact, you don't give them to me, I'll just go to the keyboard and do it myself, okay? But the point is that we've got to understand changes happen, and we can't get caught up in that. In fact, 
here's some things to help you better yet let's anticipate change let's let the holy spirit talk to us and say something is about to happen and i want my church ready i want you ready not only anticipate it get a new perspective on it change isn't always bad it's a way to go to the next place that jesus has for us amen now, why am I saying all that? Number one, I'm pastoring. Number two, I said all that to turn our attention to the Bible. And did you know that if you had been in the Bible days with Jesus walking on this earth, you had, had to navigate change and its effects throughout the whole New Testament. You say, oh, I wish I was in the Bible times when they didn't have all this change. Woo, I got to help you in the next few minutes. I call it turning your Bibles to Luke 13, just a few chapters to the left. Go west, young man. And it's what I call kingdom transitions. Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 18, what's the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again I ask, what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like, the scripture says, yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all of the dough. These two parables Jesus gives illustrates the emergence and the growth of God's kingdom when it expands. He says it happens slowly steadily but slowly and it's often watch this maybe some of what i've been talking about will help you it also is hidden often hidden to human perception but jesus is saying that the advancement of the kingdom of god takes time like a tiny mustard seed it eventually gets so big grows a tree that a bird can sit on it just like a little bit of yeast in flour works its way through all that dough Jesus Christ, when he's physically on this earth, he is at a pivotal change, transition, and time in the kingdom. The old order, it was the authority of the Torah. It was the Old Testament prophets. All of that was virtually at a close. And now Jesus is in flesh. And he proclaims the kingdom of God. And he's urgently persuading people to respond to it. John the Baptist, his forerunner, he introduced this change. And he served as the bridge between two eras of the old covenant and the new covenant. Luke chapter 16 says it succinctly. In verse 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, the good news. How many know Jesus came on the scene after, G after John? The good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Hallelujah. When Jesus was on this earth, his subject was constantly the kingdom of God. That's what he liked to preach. If you want me to preach something else, 
I will at some time, but just keep in mind, Jesus had a hot button too. And he said, in fact, one time in Luke 17, verse 20, Pharisees came and said, when's the kingdom of God going to come? And he said, the kingdom of God does not come with careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because hear it now, he's trying to get something in their head. The kingdom of God is within you. One translation says, it's among you. It's within your hearts. It's among you, surrounding you. And let me tell you right now, when he was doing that, according to Luke 19, verse 11, when they heard those things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Yes, his kingdom, the domain or the rule of the king had come as the savior of the world. But we're still waiting for that future manifestation of the kingdom. That's why we're praying your kingdom come in this fallen world. He has ordained us to be salt and light and the very kingdom that Jesus transitioned and inaugurated that came into the, the pouring of the spirit in Acts 2. We sit here today a part of that kingdom and he has called us to pray that the dominion of Satan would fall at the dominion of God here on this earth. So Luke 22, today this story depicts kingdom transition. I said all that so you get this understanding. Verse 35, this is the era that Jesus is in. This is the time he's in. And he says in verse 35, when I sent you without money, bag, knapsack, sandals, did you lack anything? They said, no, we lack nothing. He's talking about those previous missionary expeditions. You can find them in Luke 9. You can find them in Luke 10. You know what happened in those days? The disciples relied heavily on offerings, on compassion of people, upon charity. And Jesus said, I've given you power and authority. You can drive out demons. You curse diseases. Hear this, proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing the sick. Whoa, that was revival. Back then he said, don't even pack a suitcase. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Oh, you're going to just trust in God and those that provide for you. But look at verse number 36. But then he said, but now, Something has changed. We are in a transition. Oh, in the prior verses, if you're looking at chapter 22, earlier Jesus taught his men that his death would be the beginning of the new covenant. He said the bread and the fruit of the vine was to show Jesus' body and blood. It was necessary to institute the new kingdom. In Luke 22, this is Jesus' final teaching about the kingdom happening at the final feast. And now, all the events of the Old Testament, including the Passover, points towards the ministry of Jesus and his kingdom that he is inaugurating. Look at verse 36. He said, but now... In light of all of that, if you got a money bag, honey, you better take it. Knapsack. And then look what he said. And he who has no sword, sell his garment and buy one. Woo. This is different. This is different. 
from this point on, the disciples were to undertake drastic measures and changes just to survive. Oh, now the sympathizers of Jesus, they had left him to fend for himself. And with his sacrificial death just around the corner, Jesus would soon be counted among the transgressors. In fact, in verse 37, he said, this is what it was meant. This has got to be accomplished when it was written. He was numbered with the transgressors. He said, something's happening. You think I've come to set up a political kingdom and set you free from the dominance of Rome. But I'm telling you, there's changes coming. And it's not always going to be friendly to you. But you better get in your spirit. Hear what I'm saying. You've got to respond correctly to the change. Amen. If you're listening, say amen. When you look at verse 36, he said, man, if you don't have a sword, go buy one. Now, Jesus isn't inviting a revolution like the zealots of his day. It could be argued an extreme figure of speech warning him, listen, there's perilous times coming. There's perilous times coming. Life is going to change. And he said, so now you better get your purse and your bag and your sword. Symbolism, literally, however you want to look at it, here's what I do know. If you fast forward in the book of Acts, when the church was born, we find those same apostles he's talking to. They went from favor with God's favor with the people in Acts 2 to being under duress and persecution in Acts 4. And Jesus is saying, I'm reversing what I said earlier. The advice I gave you, the travel advisory I gave you, I want you to know now, oh, you got to hear me, that, that, that there's something going on. Things have changed and his followers need to be prepared for it. Now, what would you have said after Jesus said that? So, well, I guess I'm heading to Walmart to buy a gun. I don't know what you're talking, thinking. But here's what the disciples said. It's a very intriguing passage. They said, Lord, here are two swords. Wouldn't you love to be in the mind of the, of the disciples at this time? And... And when they said, Lord, here's two swords, you know what Jesus said to them? It is enough. Now, there are things in the Bible we are not left to question. We know who Jesus is. We know what it's like to live an overcoming life and go to heaven. But there's some just nuances of Scripture. There's some storylines that we don't know how Jesus said it. He didn't say, it's enough. I don't know how he said it. And there's conjecture of maybe he said it as a rebuke, kind of like, enough of this kind of talk. Or maybe he was trying to say two swords are enough to show the human inadequacy that you can't stop God's plan no matter what you do. Maybe he was saying literally two swords will be enough for you. Because I can tell you from scholars and study, they say Galileans and the Essenes also often walked around armed. 
And the reason was they were full of robbers and wild beasts. And so they carried that for a line of defense. Maybe the disciples had a couple swords on them. I don't know. But I do know that Jesus is trying to get across a message. And that lesson of the two swords, in my view, it makes no difference what you think Jesus exactly meant by that. Except we do know one thing. Is that he's saying that there are trials that are coming. He said, I want you to understand this is symbolically a struggle that's going to take place. Well, maybe they had swords because all I know is if you look down in verse number, oh, let's go to 49. Jesus' father saw what was going on, what was going to happen. And they said, Lord, should we strike them with our swords? I don't know where they got him. Boy, some of your minds are really turning right now. I'm saying the word of God. And he said, here's what I know. Look at verse 49. Peter's now rebuked for having a sword. He said, in fact, Peter said, he struck the servant of the high priest when they're in the garden cut off his right ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. A handful of weapons are inadequate to arm 11 disciples and defend them against all of this. You've got to see the abundance of weapons and force. There were temple police. There were Roman soldiers. There were people there with torches and swords. They're circling in on the 11 because Judas is off somewhere else. But hear me today. He's with them but not on the right side. But hear me today as Judas is accompanying this armed contingent. There they are. The 11. Maybe they had one two swords I don't know what they had according to their testimony they might have kept the two but they said Lord should we strike with our swords and I want you to hear what Jesus said he said put your sword away shall I drink the cup of the father has given me he said no more of this he said there's something going on that you're not understanding here's what I'm going to tell you the lesson of the two swords is this, in my view. No matter how you look at the scriptures, here's what I think is safe to say. It's never been enough, and it will never be enough. The sword was not enough, and it will never be enough. I'm getting ready to preach. Whatever preparations, opinions, thoughts you have of what's going to happen as we wait for the coming of the Lord here's what I'm going to tell you it's not enough and it will never be enough do what you want to do do you remember Y2K you remember that I know without talking there's people in this room that say ah, I'm worried about that some of you are still finishing up your groceries from Y2K. <laughs> Neither one is wrong. It's your business, except for this. If you think your plans and swords are going to save you, 
you're in for a big awakening. Because at the end of the day, when they're coming against the church, when they're coming against Jesus in Gethsemane, uh, it's never enough except for one thing. I've got Jesus on my side. And the lesson of the two swords is no matter what we face, our stuff isn't enough. But I'm looking unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask. Keep, save, hoard, plan. It's in Jesus. I'm fixing to come down where we live. And I hope you are mature enough to hear some good understanding of the Bible for the last 25 minutes. Our swords are but feeble resources in comparison to the vast weaponry of the prince of the air. All the stuff. Our swords are but useless words we offer to defend our perceived direction and rights. Our swords of currency to purchase are just a drop in the bucket compared to the coffers of this world. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about these three things. Don't use your sword. Don't use your sword, number one, to fight the purpose of God. Number two, don't use your sword to control unavoidable suffering. And number three, don't use your sword to win, or I should say to battle without spiritual Warfare. I'm going to unpack those, but I'm telling you, I'm trusting the Holy Ghost. And I know what I preached on the last time we could meet as a campus, and I'm going to preach what I'm going to preach, and God will reveal it to us when He wants to. But you better square your shoulders and get some meat on your bones when it comes to the Word of God. And here's the things all of your resources. Listen, don't use your sword to fight the purpose of God. I read it to you. Jesus said, that which is written still must be accomplished. Jesus said, it don't matter how you feel about this. You can do all the things you want to do to try to manipulate it, but you cannot fight against the purpose of God. And as followers of Jesus, we got to quit praying against the purpose of God we got to quit praying against his prophecies and the situation and events. You say, what do I mean? Why did I do that? Well, when you don't pray, your kingdom come and say, Lord, take your wand out and do this. Make me comfortable. Give me the right person. Give me whatever. Let me tell you right now, you could be praying against the purpose of God. The best pray, prayer you should ever pray is not my will, but thine be done. You should be praying your kingdom come. <laughs> 
and his kingdom doesn't always come in the way that I think it should come. So quit praying against the purpose of God. Let me tell you, Jesus said, my soul's troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He said, no, this is the very reason I came to this hour. Do you think Jesus saved you or he'll save you today? Do you think he brought you to this time in history so that you can just, you know, make sure you have a good life and everything's right and you have a house with a white picket fence? You have a dog and cat and everything. I'm not trying to be morose. I'm not trying. I'm just telling you God has blessed us. I don't feel a bit miserable. But let me tell you what I'm going to understand is the lesson of the swords. Is that I can't just put everything in my little box. And I perceive some of you have been so frustrated and searching. God, it's not working. And I'm not happy. And I'm not. Oh, don't stop the purpose of God. Not even in eternity, but in your life and how he wants to use you. Don't fight against the purpose purpose of God. This may be the reason you were born. It leads us to the second one. Don't use your sword to control unavoidable suffering. Remember what he said? Jesus said, put the sword away. I got to drink the cup of the Father that he's given me. I believe that cup was his sufferings. And he said, quit trying to chop off Malchus's ear and stop what's going on. Because there's some things I'm going to have to suffer that's always been God's plan for me and he said quit trying to fight against it and I'm telling you right now we better come to peace with the fact that whatever God wants to do in his church and through us we can't see a worldwide revival and harvest without enduring things that God allows to bring about we've got to mature and say it's more than just what's happening to me I'm not going to use my sword to try to control and cut off the things that are to come because Jesus' purpose and suffering can go along with it. And then the third one, don't use your sword to battle without spiritual warfare. Um, You are aware that our weapons are not our swords. I'm speaking metaphorically. You fill in the blank. Our weapons are not the swords. Our weapons are mighty through God. So when you give of your resources, it's never been whether it's adequate or not. It's not. You know what giving of your time, talent, treasure is all about? It's about your willingness, your obedience, your sacrifice. And then... Jesus makes it greater than any power or resource of this world. Do you think the disciple boys lost the battle in Gethsemane when Peter chopped the Malchus's ear off? Jesus puts it back. Oh, great. A lot of good that did. Oh, let me tell you right now, Jesus saved Peter's life too. 
You think that's it? You think that's what it's all about? Oh, no, no. They didn't lose that day. Because in just a little bit, Jesus was going to stand on a cross. And he's going to say, it is finished. And, 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 the, and the skies are going to darken at noonday. And the veil is going to be rent from top to bottom. And we are going to find the greatest salvation. And entering into the kingdom of God. No, no, no. When they try to fight with their own weapons. And they try to battle without spiritual warfare. It goes nowhere. But let me tell you what happens when we begin to pray in the Spirit. When we begin to fight in the Spirit. These next three days, we've got to say, Jesus, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show us? What changes are happening in the atmosphere? I want to be sensitive. I want to show up where Jesus is. And that's not going to happen with all of your swords trying to battle with your own strength and weapons but you've got to say the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds the lesson of the two swords is that it's not enough we got two swords Jesus that's enough because it's never been about the swords nor will it ever be I'm going to leave you with this thought would you agree that there is an unexplainable peace and strength that comes when you know you can't do anything about it anyway Now, for some of us, we still have a frustration because we still think we can do something about it. But when you get in the mirror and say, do I have the power to change this? What's the answer? You don't. And if you don't, instead of getting anxious, find peace. Instead of getting weak at the knees, Find strength because I know somebody that does have the power to do what he wants when he wants. I've said it before. I'm not saying that you don't get a little concerned sometimes if you've been on a plane and there's turbulence going on. But here's what I've understood. I might as well trust Jesus and the pilot because there's not a thing I can do about it. I can't say, well, if they'd open that door, I'd, I'd settle this. I had a real moment one time. Some of you heard that tragic um, plane crash in Pittsburgh many years ago. And just a few days or a week later, I was flying in to Pittsburgh I was thinking about it in fact they said those folks had a couple minutes where they knew what was going on if I keep preaching this way commercial airline flights are going down in sales no but I sat there and looked at my clock 
trying to put myself into those people and what they must have thought. I said, wow. There wasn't else, anything else I could do. I said, excuse me, I need to get up there with that pilot because I can make sure this is a good landing. There's nothing I can do. Oh, so this is making sense. When you have no power, are you going to find peace or anxiety? Are you going to find grace and strength in Jesus? Or are you going to sit there and just keep saying, you know, when this pandemic is over, when this happens, when this happens, when this... I'm going to tell you right now, stuff is always going to happen. You just got to understand, he's in control. I'm staying with Jesus and I'm going to find peace in the midst of my storms. Hallelujah. I know... I know we got to do business here on this earth. But at the end of the day, it's an eternal kingdom. I want to start praying right now. I know when I preach this way, the Holy Spirit is talking to you about many things. Things that I've not mentioned. Things I've talked about. But your mind went in other places in personal application. But let me tell you right now, there's a table in the midst of your enemies. There's a place that you can go. And if you'll use your sword as resources for just the opposite of what I've said, if you'll use your resources to acknowledge and participate in the purpose of God, if you'll let go of your grip and say, Lord, whatever you call me to do, if I must suffer, so be it. If the church may not look like I want it to look, so be it. Lord, when I battle, I've got to battle in prayer. I've got to battle in spiritual warfare. That's what we use our swords for. That's how we fight. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Would you right now begin to pray if you're here today and you don't know Jesus in the power of His Spirit. If you've never been born again, I want you to know this is the greatest day to live because He said in the last days, I'll pour out My Spirit upon all flesh. All you've got to do is put your faith in Jesus. Don't put it, your faith in government. Don't put your faith in family. We can love family, but my faith is in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in the one that died for your sins so that now if you will believe him and apply his death and burial through repentance and baptism, you can resurrect like Jesus did in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have water we have robes. We're just looking for somebody to say, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. This kingdom will not last, but His kingdom shall rule and reign forever.